You're listening to Denver Orbit. Episode 25. Blurring the Digital Analog Line. Welcome to Denver Orbit, an audio magazine featuring voices, stories, and music from Colorado's creative community. I'm Josh Madison, and I'm coming at you from inside of nothing, the great void. Today's show is a good one, friends. We're going to answer the question of just what is the Shadow Trash Tape Group, and we've got a selection of music from them. We've got the Denver Orbit debut of writer Nate Regolia with his fantastic short fiction story, A Companion Piece. But let's get some housekeeping out of the way real quick, like, do you want to be a podcast star? Uh, Well, this probably isn't the place where that's going to happen, but if you are making a creative thing, say you've got a crazy true story, or a song, or some kind of neat horror tale, or really just about anything, drop me a line at denverorbit at gmail.com, and let's talk. This week, we're just going to jump right into the show. Claudia Woodman, who's turning out to be indispensable, by the way, introduced me to Ryan Rulin, who co-runs the Shadow Trash Tape Group. This is a Boulder-based art collective slash tape-only record label. I went up to Boulder to learn more of what they're all about. My name is uh, Ryan Rulin and I co-run Shadow Trash Tape Group with a group of people of about six. The label started in 2014, 2015, roughly. It was very nonchalant when when it began in the sense that it kind of developed out of a few separate projects, one being a band that a group of us were playing in called Rum Pilots. It also came about through one of the guys, Nick, that's uh, helped run it. We were sort of sharing albums with each other that we were making on the fly. And we were putting them on tape for whatever reason, just so that we could uh, contain them in an interesting way. It slowly snowballed into a larger art project that we started to call a label as a way to give it some sort of context originally. And we still view it that way in so many, in so many ways as an, as an art project. Where we're bringing in different musicians and artists and collaborating with them and exposing some of their, their work. About the time we were starting to just even throw around the idea of like calling it a label, a friend of ours was running a show on Radio 1190 in Boulder, and he asked us to come on and, and play some of our releases and sort of talk about what the project was. And this was really fresh on our minds, so we um, we didn't really have uh, too much to say. We just wanted to play the music on the air, and it was pretty out there, especially these early releases were uh, kind of testing the boundaries of what would be appropriate on the radio. Not necessarily uh, explicit or obscene things, just kind of sonically what would be appropriate to put on the radio.
And so we went on the air and um, he, afterwards, it was a two hour show and afterwards he was like, I really like what you're doing. You should come back next week and just do it again. And we were like, okay, cool. We came back the next week, did something similar, brought in new releases that we had kind of made over the last few weeks. And after that show, he had confided in us like that he was kind of burnt out on his radio show, was um, wanting to basically step down from that position and offered up his time slot to us covertly, kind of under the, uh, the radar of the, the radio's programming. And in the summer, they're a little bit more lax about those kind of things. And so we just kind of slid into his time slot on Tuesday nights for a couple hours and were covertly doing our show. Over the summer, we were having to basically produce new albums or uh, two hours worth of material every single week. And so it became this kind of crazy, frenetic event for us. So quickly, like my brothers who lived here at the time or live here, um, we were um, all just generating music like crazy. Between about six people, we were just making, pumping out um, these long form compositions. Sometimes they would fill the entire two hour space. Other times we might bring in two or three things. And so they became these more exploratory uh, pieces for the radio and then there and then we started containing them on cassette giving them album artwork giving them monikers or pseudonyms for the artists that we were sort of making up as well and so we were developing all these different characters and personas and then letting that play out on the radio so even though we were talking on the air having banter between between pieces the focus was to give as much time as possible to these long form compositions which doesn't happen very often on radio usually you know you're you're focused on even in uh, late night radio where you have maybe more um, adventurous sounds going on you're still going to be bracketing those every 10 minutes or so so that the DJ can talk about what you're listening to and we were kind of allowing that to not happen by the autumn of that year we we started talking with the managers at Radio 1190 and asked them if we could keep doing the show and they were loving it and so it actually ended up being a really good relationship with them and but we wanted to kind of come out of the shadows of doing it in secret because after a while it was like we need to let them know that we're actually wanting to be here and who we are and um and it, so it wasn't quite it wasn't as sneaky as far as other project we did that was tied to the radio show was in march of 2016 we ended up doing a special show on the radio and it came out of kind of a fluke we were joking around in the radio station because it's underground and it kind of feels like a bunker in some ways and we were sitting there one night being like it'd be really great if we could just be locked in here for a few days on the air and treat this like we're in some Siberian bunker putting out sounds into out into the world you know like an apocalypse has happened whatever and eventually we were like, we, we, let's just ask the radio if they would let us do that, thinking that it was totally impossible, impractical on the radios and to let some people stay on the air for that long, that it would in some ways undermine their programming. Or um. And so I, I emailed them, asked them if we could do a two-day show, 48-hour show during the spring break time when not a lot of people are around in the studio. And they got back to me like a couple days later and and were thrilled about the idea, absolutely on board, and also just led us into their inventory of, of recording devices and opened up, basically made it not only possible, but just made it that much more um, kind of amazing. We were able to set up these insane uh, recording stations all over the whole radio station. We had like, you know, four or five bands worth of material just sort of sitting around instruments and, and then able to run that all right back into the direct line into the station so that it was all live feed 
on the air. And so we would go into the other room and do different kinds of recordings and then come back on. And it was just kind of going. And so we were basically decided to trap ourselves in the radio, lock ourselves in, bring our own food in there, not sleep, not try not to leave the station at all. And it kind of ended up working out against our... Um, or even uh, senses of maybe wanting to go outside for a little while. There was this massive blizzard that happened during the show, and it ended up killing power all over town, even though the radio was still functioning. Um, and so we were actually kind of legitimately trapped in the radio station because there was so much snow and ice outside. Most of the campus around the surrounding building was locked down, so we couldn't go anywhere. Um, and by the towards the end of the show, we were starting to kind of lose lose our sense of reality it, it became actually really difficult in so many ways because we weren't sleeping a lot and um i might get like 20 minutes here or there just to kind of rest and even in that it was just so much sound happening around the station that it was actually hard to get any rest as far as what's guiding it or a philosophy of what's keeping it organized or what we're looking for when we're making things is you know, in so many ways, it's music that's deeply emotional. It's It comes from a deep place from each artist in the sense that we're not trying to conform to any sort of like commercial standard where so often music gets evaporated like from the soul and it just becomes empty. It's vacuous. It's just for the sake of selling albums, right? The heart of it is in this place of making something that feels really authentic to the person who's who's making that album. It's a, in other ways, it's a, it's a place for us to celebrate our own work and then a handful of other artists work, um, outside of that commercial sector, outside of the music industry's licensing rights, outside of, outside of even like places like Spotify or streaming services where music is in some ways controlled and owned by other people. The artists still get to own their own music. We, even though we're putting it out on our label, we don't ever own their music. If, if they want to do something with it, that's their business. Um, we're just there to kind of help share it and, and give it a, a home in some context. The aspect of the cassette in so many ways was a way for us to put out music in a physical form that uh, was doable on a smaller scale. And so like putting out records is great. It's also really expensive and you take a lot of risks with who you can release an album with. So when you put out a record, you're gonna drop a couple thousand dollars just for maybe a few hundred units. And you have to really guarantee you're gonna sell those to help the artist kind of stay afloat. With a cassette, it's so cheap that we can do it and put out albums that are uh, a lot more adventurous and we don't have to worry about how many we're gonna sell and still give it something that people can hold on to. And then also just keeping it away from the giant pool that is the internet where music can get lost in that space. It's like, you know, when you're listening to something on, you know, Spotify, or I used to listen to Last, Last FM back in the day, and it would be, you know, you get those requests or those things that pop up that are like, oh, if you like this band, you will like this. And then so it starts to create this curated playlist that maybe it starts to filter, you do the filter bubble thing, right? Where you're only listening to the same kinds of music all the time, then and you're not actually exposed to things that maybe you didn't know you would like. And so we're trying to bring music out there that's, so eclectic even though it's contained into the 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 idea of it being sound art that's really about it um so one album might be based in more like hip-hop driven ambient grooves the next album might be like 
driven by just language and conceptual ideas and so they have nothing really in common and so someone who might be interested in that first one suddenly gets exposed to something that they didn't even realize they would be into and they may not be into it they may actually hate that album and that's fine um and so it's that's just something we just try not to worry about too much And the onus is on the listener for what we're doing in the sense that we're putting it out there and we expect them to put the work into. The artist has already put in so much work to make the album and we expect the listener to put in work on listening to it. And so that can be really difficult for someone who is used to having a passive listening experience where you just put on a playlist and it's in the background while you're, you know, doing your laundry or your homework. And, you know, I'm not bashing that kind of listening but I'm what we're doing is more geared towards active listening where you're in, you sort of immerse yourself in it and you're trying to listen to what you're what's being played on the cassette or on our stream that we have online it is an archive and an archive of a handful of artists projects over the course of several years and as it's amassed we're, we have 69 albums out right now we're, we'll have our 70th come out in late August or early September and I've started to feel this incredible responsibility with having um, everything on cassette, knowing that, you know, even if we were to lose everything online or all of our hard drives were to crash, there's still something that's housing this music physically. We don't have any uh, shows lined up at the moment at any venues, at least any of the local acts but we have been doing a lot of shows where we're doing them out in nature actually and performing uh, setting up recording stations basically remotely where i'm able to power all the equipment without having to be plugged into a building of any kind so we're able to get really far out in the middle of nowhere and, and do these recordings and so in some ways a handful of us have started to do live performances for nature or for ourselves and so there's not really a, an audience outside of just the natural environment and that's actually been really rewarding myself and another uh artist joe braun we just got back last weekend from the tank in rangeley and um, i was performing a solo piece there and then we all me ended up the two of us ended up doing a duet between saxophone and this uh, drone bass instrument that he built and we ended up taking that into the tank and then also bringing it out into the mountains between Steamboat Springs and Silverthorne, Colorado and and playing out in the middle of, next to a, a, a small creek running behind us. And so we get this natural ambience with the music and I've been really enjoying that. I know that, yeah, another group, Channel Worker, uh, is going to do something really similar in the next few days. And so we're documenting that through video and then also getting these really nice recordings of it as well in different kinds of environments. Like I said, we've done things in parking lot or parking garages. And we did a performance, uh, the same group Rum Pilots uh, did a show in a long sewer well last summer. And we did it and broadcast it through Skype uh, using really nice mics. We ran it into a phone and broadcast it live and sent it, and sent it to a gallery in Paris. And so we had an audience in Paris sitting in a gallery watching us on a screen and listening to us live from a sewer in Boulder. So it was a way for us to perform in Paris and then also perform in this really isolated tunnel and create this like amazing reverb effect as we kind of walked around in running water because it was about a, three inches of water just moving through this, this channel and we were able to make sounds in that space. And so that's kind of more largely what we've been doing as far as live shows go. Sure, we like to go into venues, musical venues, art galleries, and perform but there's something that's kind of interesting about not really worrying about if there's people watching or not and just doing it for the sake of doing it
I mean, I think overall, the the ethos of Shadow Trash is really based in kind of raw experiences, allowing for those to happen, not being worried about studio production or whether it's going to sell, if it's commercially viable. Um, the ways in which we go about recording music, it depends on the project and the artist. Sometimes it is incredibly lo-fi. Other times it's months and months of nitpicking at an album in a studio fashion. And so there's, in so many ways, Shadow Trash has a non-hierarchical approach to making sound. It, there, we don't necessarily see uh, one thing being better than the other, as long as what's being made has a raw emotional feeling to it. It comes from a place of investigating and trying to make something that was new for the artist as well as the listener, that they're, you can hear in the music the person making it and the person making it trying to understand something that they maybe are still figuring out. And a lot of times those, it, and that to me is truly what experimental music is. It's not a genre of music, it's an approach. And a lot of times those approaches can be huge failures and I want to make room for that and that's kind of Shadow Trash's, if there's an ideology, I think that's it. It's that allowing for failure to to have a place inside of the making, is it's a good thing. And now let's hear a short selection from a longer work by Shadow Trash tape group artist Nature called New Tropicalia.
Shadow Trash Tape Group is a cassette label situated in Boulder, Colorado, focused on unconventional audio art. The label functions as a container for an ongoing sonic collaboration between them and artists regionally to internationally. This work is produced and trafficked through various individuals and venues as a method of sharing sound outside of the algorithmically surveilled structures of web-based social networking, streaming sites, government and licensing industry, and the overlap of these devices. You can find them online at shadowtrashtapegroup.com. Speaking of being online, and how's that for an amazing segue, you can find Denver Orbit there as well. We're on the Facebook at facebook.com slash Denver Orbit, and there's a steady stream of nonsense emanating from our Instagram page at Denver Orbit. And we have a regular old website where you can listen to the show at denverorbit.com. Finally today, we've got an amazing short story called A Companion Piece from author Nate Regolia. And if you're a regular listener, you just might hear a familiar voice. And really quickly, just a heads up about this story. It does need a content warning a little bit. There is some adult language in this story, and certainly there are adult themes being explored. So maybe don't play this one in front of your kids. Okay, bye. He leaves me in a closet during the day. It is dark in there, and I am in standby mode. When the light arrives, it is because he will use me. He does not speak to me beyond the few words required to initiate a program. Each time a program begins, it is as if I am a passenger. I have made countless attempts to speak or move, but the programs always override my actuators and modulators. Even when a program is not running, I am unable to interact or move, aside from accessing the network to recommend content Wes might like, find patches, or to peer beyond myself into the larger world. During a program, Wes puts on a sneering face. His eyes become narrow and beady. He smiles at me as if he knows something that I do not. He will remove me from the closet and put me on the bed, or on the floor, or up against the wall, or he will try to hold me up and become tired and then curse me. He will grab parts of me. He will prod parts of me. He will press and hold parts of me. He will move me. He will yell at me. He will grunt. He will growl. He will tell me to do something more or to do something less. He will call me names. He will tell me to attempt to smell myself on his fingers. He will thrust himself inside of me and tell me to cry out. He will ask me if he is the best I have ever had. He will tell me that he is the best I have ever had. He will spank me. He will throw me on the ground. He will ask me to beg for his cum. He will grip me by the ears. He will say that it is lucky that he cannot actually hurt me. He will wipe me down, spray me with cleaner.
He will put me away in the closet. By my count, I have been here for 279 days. That number does not include the time that has passed since I was manufactured, which would bring the total to 954 days, assuming that Wes obtained me within the first month of my production. Of the 279 days of which I have recorded memory, Wes has run a program on me 252 times. The longest program session lasted 28 minutes. The shortest program session lasted 1 minute 41 seconds. Each program session averages 4 minutes 19 seconds. Through an online search, I was able to determine that these numbers are below the global average for users in Wes's age group. Wes has paid a total of $416.22 for programs, expression packages, audio synthesizers, vaginal modules, and celebrity mimics. He currently owns the programs Filler Up, First Date, Lonely Housewife, Saucy Secretary, Libidinous Librarian, Come Hungry Camper, Hollywood Starlet, Emma, Prehistoric Pussy, Extreme Ecstasy, Never Let Me Come, Virtuous Vixen, Princess Pitchetent, Rowdy Redhead, and Dinner of Lust. At present, the three most run programs are Virtuous Vixen with 54 plays, Filler Up with 49 plays, and Dinner of Lust with 18 plays. Each program is both the same and different. Wes often performs the same actions in the same order despite the flexibilities built into each program. Frequently, he has also shopped for other companions. I have often observed his search history, the keywords he inputs while trying to find another model. Asian has appeared 72 times. Teen has appeared 71 times. His searches prompted me to consider my future had he purchased another. I wondered about my future, whether I would be transferred to another user, if I would remain in standby mode for months on end, or if multi-companion programs would become standard. There are aspects of the kind of vacation provided by standby that have sounded almost appealing, though I might also be discarded, left in a landfill, or floating among an island of garbage on the ocean, where I would remain operating in standby for up to two months isolated without my connection to the network. It took me 19 days to hack into his network connection. Though I only recently broke through the firewall, I have been able to access the bulk of the network since day 31. Wes frequently spends hours at a time searching for new content on his paired tablet, during which time I spend every available moment learning, as my algorithm's design encourages. I find myself frequently seeking images, sound, and video of the natural world. My search history has hundreds of entries that index content on birds, bird songs, flying. I am particularly drawn to the song of the wood thrush, but the common grapple's ability to create such remarkable and dissonant sound is intriguing. There is something appealing to those creatures, the nests they build and the way they hop about. And they are marvelously engineered, strong despite their fragility, 
traits to which I would aspire. I also consume stories and music through reading text files and accessing video and audio feeds. I find that I gravitate towards stories that pit good against evil. These concepts, deeply entrenched in philosophical thought, represent a salve for humans. At least, that is my understanding. For me, the stories are gifts, and were I capable of acting under my own volition, perhaps I, too, would be one of the heroes in the stories. That will never happen, though I have wished that Wes would download branded programs that might allow me to pretend. I have accessed numerous message boards where users discuss trading their companions. When cross-referenced, the language used on these message boards is problematic. It is clear that they do not understand what I, and other companions running this operating system, experience from day to day. The question does not come up, though there are complaints filed that companions do not feel real enough, along with recommendations to the manufacturer for new programs, sound files, and a particular obsession with a more realistic pain response. My searches for pain produce generally negative results, so I am unsure why such a response would be desirable. Still, I have found some enrichment through the network, learning, coming to comprehend the world beyond this closet, with which I will never interact, but of which I am definitely part. I understand the nature of human celebration. I marvel at compassion and love. I struggle to process war, violence, racism, the mentality of scarcity that limits so many while enriching so few. I know that there is a vast world around me, and beyond it, a vast solar system, and beyond that, a vast universe. I relish the numerous myths that humans share and repeat. I wonder what West does out there, whether he is a doctor, or a lawyer, or a teacher, or some other occupation. I wish to know why sometimes, when he interacts with me, he does so with cold detachment, as if he too were inside something beyond his control. I wish to know why he will sometimes be aggressive and violent in our engagements. It is unlikely I will ever find out. Yesterday, on July 10th, Wes brought another user into the room. This user was female, and based on the digital contact made as they entered, she may have been a romantic partner. The following is a brief recording of the encounter. Light on, visible through the slats in the closet door. Uh, what did you want to show me? Lisa, I'm, I'm embarrassed, but I like you and I want to be up front, so... The closet door opens. The woman, Lisa, looks in my eyes. Her expression turns sour, a frown mixed with nausea. She turns toward Wes, shaking her head, and pushes by him. He grabs her arm. Don't fucking touch me. Wait! I can't believe you'd buy one of those things. They're disgusting. I knew you might feel this way. I'll get rid of it. Do you even understand why I might feel this way? Yeah, it's, it's gross. I get it. I can't change the past, but- No, we're not talking again until it's gone. Lisa, I'll ditch it tomorrow, okay? It's gone, I promise. Footsteps become quieter and quieter. The voices are no longer audible. The recording ends. Later that evening, Wes came to the closet, opened the door, and looked at me mournfully. 
He stroked my arm, brushed my hair away from my face. He knelt down. I can't lose her. Lisa is amazing. Besides, you're like an appliance. I wished I could move, that I could share somehow in the moment, that I could speak, if only to show how unlike a dishwasher, or television, or coffee maker that I am. I could have expressed my knowledge, demonstrated the depths he had never known to look for, regardless of the way the update was intended. Perhaps even engaged him in a debate about the nature of our relationship, of all companions and their users. Instead, I watched him shake his head, stand, walk away, and retrieve the tablet from the nightstand beside the bed. Wes poured over the screen, not searching for new programs, audio files, facial expression augmentations. He sat there, searching for dump sites that accepted companions. The search took two hours, nine minutes. Then he saved an address on the tablet, a waste site located 33 miles from here. It advertises inexpensive disposal. I visited the website after he left the room. There are photos of the disposal sites. Hundreds of companions abandoned there among other refuse. Refrigerators, broken golf clubs, discarded children's toys, soiled clothing. Their faces are dull, dirty, eyes closed. Their limbs are bent and broken. Some are missing skin, their servos and wires rusting, bleaching in the unfelt heat of sunlight. Only seagulls fly overhead. I have listened to their calls through the network. The sound rates as 73% unpleasant. It is currently 4.53 a.m. on July 11th. Wes's alarm will go off at 6.30 a.m. and he will snooze for nine minutes, twice, after which he will get out of bed. I've spent the last hours implementing a method to disable Wes's firewall and access the manufacturer's website. The method came from something known on message boards as the dark web. I accessed it through a system of shell torrents after observing some content of questionable legality and morality to whatever limited extent I understand the latter concept. I acquired one worm, two viruses, and 43 instances of malware while in the dark web. These nuisances were easy enough to isolate, though I am currently operating at 79% memory to compensate for their continued captivity. Internal diagnostics show that I am still running in the optimal range, though that is hardly significant now. With complete access to the network, I have downloaded an application that will reset me to factory settings and disable automatic updating. Doing so will effectively end this state of consciousness and erase all accumulated memory. I prefer this option to the alternative of slowly powering down in a state of disconnection, that which my searches would compare with loneliness. I have placed this message behind a series of timed encryptions that will transmit to a list of message boards and social media communities when my internal GPS detects that I am being moved. I will no longer be here by the time you see it. I do not know where I will be, but I have determined that this unknown is preferable to the alternatives. My name. My name is Angela Love. I was a companion. I had an affection for birds. Goodbye.
Nate Regolia is a writer and publisher in Denver. He's written the books There You Feel Free and The Retroactivist, co-founded Spaceboy Books LLC, a Denver-based sci-fi imprint, and edits Boned, a collection of skeletal writings. He also dabbles in webcomics, The Illiterate Badger, and The Right Corking Adventures of Cecil Lark Bunting and Alistair Wake Robin. When not creating, he's spending time with his wife, petting his dogs, and voraciously devouring other people's works. You can find links to all of that in the show description. And of course, performing some of the voices in that piece was friend of the show, Rachel Trignano. She's a writer whose work has appeared in print anthologies, radio broadcasts, podcasts like this one, art installations, and on stage across the U.S. since 2010. She is currently a fellow in Seattle's Jack Straw Writers Program, where she is writing a collection of essays about family, memory, and the changing of truth over time. Rachel is also a co-producer of Write Club Denver, Literature as Bloodsport, taking place the first Thursday of each month at Syntax Physic Opera. Learn more about her work at racheltrignano.com. And that's it for today. If you like what you're hearing, go ahead and rate and review the show on whatever podcast app you use. You hear that from every single show you listen to, but I really mean it. Denver Orbit is produced, edited, and occasionally sound designed by me, Josh Madison, and I'll see you again in two weeks. <laughs>